Hello, everyone. Welcome to another bounty episode of the Day Zero podcast. I'm Spectre with me is Z, and this will be our last bounty episode before we go on our summer break, and we'll return from that on September 25th and 26th. Uh, while the podcast will be on pause, we'll still be around on Discord and whatnot. Uh, we'll also be heading to DEF CON. Um, if you haven't heard the the spiel already, um, we are planning to do some Spot the Vuln shirts and whatnot, so if you have any thoughts on that, leave them in our Discord. Um, but yeah, uh, we are planning to head to DEF CON, and also um, we might do some other supplementary content over the, over the summer, uh, just not the regularly scheduled podcasts. I maybe should have brought this up uh, before the episode, before I try and drop it on you. But I believe you're heading off to a conference here fairly soon. I don't know if you want to mention that to anybody who might be to meet you with there or not. Yeah, so I'm also going to uh, Hardware I.O. That's at the end of this month. Uh, so uh, technically beginning of June, because I think the conference starts uh, like June June 2nd or June 3rd or something like that. Um, but yeah, so I am going to be heading to Hardware I.O. So if anyone's heading to that, uh, feel free to hit me up. Uh, I might be giving a talk there as well. Um, I don't think that's been confirmed yet, but it seems likely that I'll be giving a talk there. So yeah, uh, also check that out if you're heading to Hardware I.O. So yeah, um, but yeah, that's that's pretty much what the summer is going to look like. It's going to be a little bit more packed than uh, some of the some of the past summers. Um, yeah, because, yeah, I, this is the first DEF CON uh, I think both of us are going to be going to since, uh, you know, before the lockdowns and everything. It's been a while for me since DEF CON. I feel like it was 2018 or 19 when I last went. Um, yeah, I think 2019 was when we both went, uh, last time we both went. Yeah, I mean, it, it's been a good while, so, I mean, there'll be that. Um, I'm hoping to put out some other content. I know we say that, like, every summer break, <laughs> that we'd like to put out other content. Uh, but I I would genuinely like to. Um, I've had a couple people mention the idea of doing like shorts with the spot the vault, so I might try and make a few of those and put them out or something through the summer. That would be uh, fun. But yeah, I'd like to try and get us out like with a bit more than just the podcast content. But we'll see how that goes. As always, yeah. Um, and we're. Rude- yeah, I was just about to, to address this. Yeah, so Rudimal asked, uh, "Will they have recordings if you do the talk?" I believe they will. Yeah, usually uh, the hardware I/O they they do the recordings of the talks, um, and they're, if I remember correctly, they've come out pretty quickly too. Um, at least last year's did. So, yeah, I think that it'll be recorded. So yeah, uh, with that out of the way, though, we'll jump into some of our topics. Uh, up first, we have a key pass uh, password dumper that went up recently, um, and it's. It's got a CVE, but it's kind of a silly bug. Uh, it requires like local access and everything. But yeah, I'll let Z get into it here. Yeah, and whether or not it deserves a CVE has been somewhat discussion. Uh, so the core issue here, I thought was a little bit interesting. So it's in the, uh, so this is impacts a key pass two. So this is not impacting key pass X or key pass XC. Um, it is specifically a key pass two bug. So the primarily Windows key pass. Um, and specifically where the bug is, is, um, they create a custom text box for your password entry. So like entering your master password, although it is used, um, in like password edit boxes and such. So this, while the vulnerability is mostly about, um, getting the master password, it could happen with some other things as you're using the application too. Uh, but it's a secure text box. EX. Um, this text box, uh, basically the way it ends up working, and it works a lot like you kind of expect. You type your password, you kind of see the last character that you type for a little bit. Um, 
as an unencrypted character, or not unencrypted, but like unmasked. Now it usually shows like the dot characters. And so that's what the attack they're going for looks for. You, if you're able to dump the memory of KeyPass, um, you can go through it and just scan for like the uh, whatever the dot character is called. Because I'm not speaking of the period, but that large one. Kind of just scan for, I guess, a bullet point almost. Oh, no. There, there is probably a better name for that character. But you would scan for that character and then the letter. And then um, in their example here, if you were typing in password, you would see that uh the dot a dot dot s dot 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 s and you would have all these strings with that character in memory so you can kind of expel what the password was just by looking at what strings it created in the process of actually building up the block i thought that was just kind of a fun little way of getting the information there it sounds like this may not impact the default actually you know what does dot net even for .NET, I don't think, provides a default password box, does it? I, I don't remember if it does or not. Remember. I mean, obviously, if you're using a web app, you have that default password type, but I don't remember if .NET provides a masking option. So maybe that's why they built it, or maybe they built this before .NET implemented it, um, or kind of added that sort of thing in. Uh, I, I was going to make the comment, it doesn't sound like the... Uh, native one is vulnerable to this, but it might just be the fact there is no native one to be vulnerable at all, anyhow. Uh, but yeah, I thought it was kind of an interesting The level of access is really high. This is a local attacker who is able to get a memory dump of your process. So, I don't know, I feel like it's a fair, or at least a somewhat worthwhile consideration. The main attack scenario I'd really be thinking of uh, because my initial thought was, well, why would you do this if you could just uh, keylog them? You've already got code execution on the machine. You keylog as they're entering the password. You're getting the password. Why do you? Why does this matter? Why do they need to take that degree of defense? Although I will say, like after further thought, uh, at least this attack, like if somebody stole your device in an unlocked situation, it, all this takes is a memory dump after the fact. So there is that little bit of extra attack service that does come from this. So it is something to at least be considered being able to dump things out of memory. And I'm sure they do take care to like not store the password after you've unlocked or like after it's uh, done the unlocking to not keep that in memory. So it would make sense for them to also try and protect these strings in memory. Because uh, it's like generally known like you'd want to protect like your crypto keys in memory um, and clearing the memory and stuff. So it makes sense to protect it here even though the attack does feel fairly unlikely, there is at least a little bit of a um, of an impact from it, at least. You can see a practical side to it, yeah. Um, and I was just refreshing my memory, looking it up on the like on the .NET framework. So they, I, there isn't like a password specific text box, but the text box control does have a password character property that you can set. Um, but I, I don't think it allows you to do like what they have here where it'll reveal the last character briefly. I think it's just it'll mask it as you type it entirely. So that might be why they they came up with uh, their own custom field there. But yeah, I actually I tried opening up Visual Studio to to check it. And then I remembered it was Visual Studio and I'd have to wait, you know, 20 minutes. So it's still yeah, I just canceled that. Uh, I, yeah, actually, I clicked on it like while you were talking a minute or two ago, and it still hasn't opened. So I'm not sure what the deal is. Um, well, I, I am sure what the deal is. It's Visual Studio, but yeah. <laughs> so, 
Um, but yeah, it's kind of a neat um, trick, basically like, you know, revealing the the uh, password one character at a time. Um, it is interesting that it's like that easy, because like you said, you would kind of expect, uh, you know, uh, critical things like passwords and secrets like that to be protected in memory. But um, yeah, it does require like local access. So it's not something that's going to be able to hit a ton of people or something. Uh, it's going to be quite tailored, but uh, you also don't need like code execution exactly. So yeah, it's it's still kind of a cool attack. I mean, I can't imagine a lot of scenarios where somebody does have a memory dump that doesn't have code execution. I suppose in the case of like a complete crash dump. So if you cause a crash, you can then do that and steal the device and get the crash dump file or something like that. But um, and uh, Rudimal mentions that the uh, Windows Presentation Foundation, WPF like that. I want to say they introduced that with like all the Metro stuff and like oh, uh, I feel like that was when they introduced it, but like that presentation, basically framework, um, may have a password box. Yeah, fair so. enough. I was talking about like Windows form applications, uh, so that's that's a fair distinction as well. Yeah, which is um, what I think of by default too. But yeah, WPF does exist. Um, either way, like I don't have information on whether or not that that implementation is also vulnerable in this way, because this does kind of make sense. Like if you're Dealing with a dynamic string, you don't know how long it's going to be. So either you're going to allocate like a large string or it's just going to get, you can assume it gets freed. And so it's just going to hang out in memory until it's overwritten. Um, unless you take that special case to actually go and clear the memory, which maybe, maybe by default they do now. Like, I definitely understand how this bug came about. Yeah, it's not exactly something you're like a, a common attack scenario, I guess. Uh, yeah. to think about so yeah all right so getting into some other vulnerabilities uh we have a post on two vulns in jellyfin uh, which is a media server similar to plex and mb but open source uh, it's actually forked from mb uh, what they zoned in on here was the rest api in the server which was implemented in asp.net uh, we have a lot of like microsoft based technology and topics today um and yeah what they noticed was for authorization, uh, they can be passed either via this custom XMB token header or the authorization header. Um, and in a lot of locations, these values uh, like from these headers were uh, seem to be inherently trusted despite coming from the client. So getting into the first issue, which is a directory traversal, um, they looked at the log endpoint, uh, log upload endpoint, which is enabled by default. Uh, it takes it ends up taking the uh, client name and version to create the the log uh, file path. Um, problem is those ultimately come from the authorization header, which can be malicious and you can path traverse outside the log directory. And the attacker also has full control over the file contents via the post body. So that's quite a significant primitive uh, for an attacker to have. Um, though you are pretty limited by the fact that the file size is limited to one megabyte and also you have the dot log extension. Um, you can't seem to get around that, which turned out to be a fairly significant limitation for them. Um, they tried a few things, seeing if like maybe on Linux they could do something because uh, like the Jellyfin Docker containers ran as root. They wanted to see if maybe they could make a cron job, but cron job files can't contain dots. So they couldn't really find a way to chain that on its own to get something interesting. Um, so they ended up finding another vulnerability, uh, which was a stored XSS in the devices page of the admin panel. Again, similar story values from the authorization header were echoed there. Uh, I think the device ID is what they uh, call out in particular. Uh, furthermore, inline scripts were allowed by the CSP. So yeah, it was just a pretty straightforward XSS, and you could use a val with the classic uh, string 
from char code character trick to uh, evaluate code um, because they they couldn't seem to pass quotations with the authorization header. But yeah, with the the string from char code trick uh, got around that. Um, from there to get RCE, they leveraged the media encoder, uh, which would try to validate provided paths. Uh, and it would do that by like starting the path provided as a process. So by just using the log endpoint to upload a blog file with arbitrary content, uh, they could use the second bug to point the media encoder to that file, get it executed for code execution. Uh, and since it was in the validation phase, it also wouldn't replace the legitimate media encoder. So it was also somewhat, uh, it had a bit of like a stealth aspect uh, at that part, uh, at that point. So yeah, from there, the post talks about deploying an implant. Uh, I'll skip over that mostly here. Uh, it just involves like installing a malicious plugin. Uh, might be interesting to you if you're interested in like Jellyfin specifically, but uh, that's kind of where the, the vulnerability and exploit details end. So yeah, it's kind of an interesting way of chaining the two bugs. Uh, although the way they use the first bug isn't the way that, like they're not really abusing the path traversal, more just the ability to get arbitrary file content on the system, uh, which still is pretty powerful. Um, and push but, it into yeah, a was, known location. Yeah. Which is um, where, um, in some setups, you may actually abuse it, abuse the directory traversal to like move yourself into root and upload into temp or something. Uh, it's like somewhere known. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah so I, that was quite a it was quite an interesting chain uh with how it worked um but yeah, it's yeah, a fun the, chain the I, were pretty simple i like um you know the logging endpoints the the headers that's logging is one of those areas so this sort of logging is a little bit different than like your generic logging endpoint but logging is one of those areas that i think often gets overlooked in terms of security like oh what's somebody going to do with a log injection um, but especially, you know, uh, I don't think, or I don't know if MB's or Jellyfin, sorry, is doing it here, but like, especially applications with more structured log link, there are those second order attacks you can go for now. So it's always fun to kind of see something involving the logging. In this case, it is a bit more trivial, just logging up our endpoint just takes the whole body, uh, and directory traversal. So it's not quite a complex logging bug. But it does remind me of that and just, you know, to take a look at that logging functionality because it is really easy to kind of skip over and just kind of ignore as not interesting because it doesn't necessarily do very much um, and not actually explore that functionality much further. Um, on a whole, yeah, they got like their their full RC chain out of it. So full compromise is always, always fun to see in the full chain. Um I don't know if we want to discuss this too much, but one of the sentences here right at the top, uh, I at least want to touch on briefly. I always thought, and I'm quoting at this point, uh, I always thought of getting a CVE as information security's rite of passage, which is probably shallow reasoning, but symbolic value can't be denied. Honestly, I feel like CVEs are overvalued. I don't even want to say overvalued. Like, um, I, I think people have the wrong understanding about like what having a CVE means. Because get a CVE. Well, I mean, we just talked about the, uh, you know, memory disclosure, password disclosure thing. Like, you get a CVE for something like that, and that's equivalent to your RC and something else. And you get a CVE for like the, you know, random XSS in the WordPress plugin nobody ever uses. It's all the same. Um, so I, I feel like a lot of people kind of look at CVs like, oh, you have a CV, it means something. But in practice, they just don't. 
unless you actually take the time to look at the CV and understand what the bug was. Just I don't know a lot. I've and I've seen people kind of taking that view of like you know having a CV is the rite of passage. I just don't really agree with that view. Um, that like this. I, I think just that having... view has been fading a little bit over the years. Um, because I feel like back when I was first getting interested in security, so like 2015, 2016, um, I feel like CVEs were made a way bigger deal than they are now. Uh, especially as I mean, we've had a few episodes that have touched on like meme CVEs where like the bugs aren't even real, but they're assigned CVEs because, uh, you know, whoever reported it just did enough badgering and whatever. I feel like people have kind of come around to the fact that CVEs on their own don't don't really mean much. Um, but, you know, uh, I guess not not everyone will share that opinion. And on some level, you know, CVEs do provide value. I'm not saying we should just like scrap them or something, but uh yeah, CVEs like, are still important for tracking the bugs if they exist within a network. Like they have their use case, um, but it's only for tracking the fact that something exists. It tells you nothing about the quality of the bug or anything of that sort. Um, yeah, and actually, I think part of the falling out of them has also been kind of the rise of bug bounties. Uh, because a lot of bug bounties, you don't get a CVE because CVEs are for tracking things that you de- you can deploy. So, like my network, I might be running this application. Uh, so a vulnerability in Google, I am not running Google in my home network. Like that's not a application with a version I can just deploy locally or something. That is purely in one place. So those sorts of things don't get CVEs. They don't get tracked like that at all because they're off in their one place. Um not being deployed, not being shared, and thus not needing any sort of tracking of this sort. Uh, so, like, finding some great bugs in, you know, whatever web application that isn't self-hostable doesn't get you a CV, but it's still a solid bug to find. So I feel like bug bounties have probably had had a hand in drawing people away from going for uh, CVs. That's that's a fair point. I, I didn't really think about that, but I, I like it. Uh, maybe we'll circle back to that a little bit on a on a later topic, actually. But yeah, uh, in terms of the Jellyfin post, uh, two vulnerabilities chained together, kind of an interesting way. And um, I was just going to back up what you said about the logging stuff, too. Um, it is one of those functionalities where it's easy to skip over, especially if there's not an immediate vulnerability to take advantage of. Like, in this case, there kind of was. Um, but just in general, like, being able to upload file contents or... or um, get file contents on a target system is is a pretty nice primitive, even if it doesn't immediately lead to anything. Uh, it can be very nice to have in the toolbox for for when you do find something more significant that you can exploit. So yeah, uh, let's get into a post by Trustwave. Um, and it's kind of a fun post uh, on a talk to in an undisclosed game that has magic and spells, uh, hence the title Harry Potter style, um, though they state it's not a Harry Potter game. So... Uh, yeah, like I said, this is more of a fun post than anything. It tells a bit of background about about the game, um, which has a classic mechanic of MMOs. Uh, when you're on the road or between keeps or whatever, you can attack and be attacked by other players, get robbed, etc. Um, but when you're inside settlements and keeps, you're in a safe zone where weapons can't be used, or at least that's the intent. Um, and it'll do that by doing a location check against the player whenever they try to perform an ability or something. Um, the problem in this particular game is that these spells are ca- uh, like a cast spell, um, so they're not instant. You first have to you know, target a player and then it casts. 
Um, so if you can cast a spell, leave it hanging there, and then go into some safe zone to target, um, you can bypass the safe zone mechanic and hit the player in the safe zone. So that's where they talk about time of check, time of use here. Uh, this particular game had that issue. They were able to cause that hang and and uh, you know kill players inside of towns and whatever. Um, or I think the what they say in here is like turn them into a frog or whatever. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, there's not really a ton here in terms of technical detail. It's just kind of explaining talk to and giving a nice uh you know or a fun example of it um but still like we like to talk about how bugs can impact games sometimes on the show and um i thought this was a nice like uh post of levity for for people who might want a you know a quick read that's not too heavy or anything and it's a really good illustration of talk to attacks and just how that like that whole concept of time check time versus time of use issues um like I think it just does a really good job of illustrating you know that separation between those two events. It sometimes can be a little bit unclear when we're talking about and trying to give examples of it. Uh because oftentimes when I talk about using examples, like I often rely back on the uh the CTF example incrementing points where you know if you have multiple threads all incrementing at the same time, you can have an issue which I guess isn't quite doesn't quite like it i guess that's more of my race condition illustration rather than specifically talk to um but yeah i don't know it's i thought it was a good just example of that class of attack that like is a lot easier to understand than i think a lot of examples are yeah and it's got some flashiness to it because like these kinds of bugs are what people like to try to find and exploiting games even if they're not in the security sphere um which i think is another thing this post does well is you know the ctf example is fun to talk about but if you're not in security you're you're going to be like you probably won't really grasp the implications of it whereas you know something like this you kind of grasp it right away especially if, if you've ever played like uh an mmo with this sort of mechanic in it so yeah, I thought it was a it was a fun post to to give a quick highlight to. Uh, getting into a more serious issue, um, from Yas uh, Yasenchidi, we have a uh, loophole in renting luxury cars. So uh, yeah, basically like a price manipulation type bug. Z, I'll let you get into this one. Price manipulation, also a crypto misuse, perhaps. Um. What they had here, it's a fairly straightforward issue. They were able to rent luxury cars for a dollar, which sounds great. Um, The loophole here that they kind of leveraged was in making the request to uh, rent a car, it would pass in these, they refer to, encoded strings. So just these blobs of data that they couldn't figure out, you know, what the actual content was. It just gets passed in there. Uh, so what they ended up trying was just taking, uh, what if they took that blob from a cheap vehicle and just kind of replayed it or inserted it into trying to rent a more expensive vehicle? And what they found was that impacted the price. They were able to rent the more expensive vehicle, but by using the blob from a uh, cheaper vehicle, it would basically give you the price of the cheaper vehicle. So getting the rental for one INR, and that feels a lot like a one of your kind of classic crypto issues where you're using encrypted values, but you're not associating them with anything. Um, or you don't have it. Uh, say again, uh, replay attacks basically. Yeah. Uh, it's what it boils down to. 
Kind of, but I don't think they're intending to prevent you from being able to replay these values. It's using the wrong value with the wrong parameter set. Um, rather than replaying it. Like, I did use the term replaying in terms of taking the value from one and using it against the other, but I do see a distinction between a replay attack, which I usually see as just replaying the same action multiple times, um, and this one where you're taking data from a separate action, using it in the wrong action. Um, so I, I do see a distinction there. I can maybe see what you mean with the replay. My thought is like there should be something that um, associates the string with the data it's supposed to be. So if it is a price, we don't actually know what all is in the blob, but let's say it is an encrypted price. It should probably also include like the car ID or something. So it would be an ID plus the price together. So if you pass the wrong thing, um, it has a way of kind of detecting that and you know can reject it. It, it is a kind of classic crypto issue where the crypto is being used and it can be used like the crypto itself can be secure, but the crypto system around it isn't secure because it isn't handling these other attacks. Uh, so yeah, I thought it was just a fun little bug on that front. Not a crazy bug here. It's not that difficult to understand. It is just reusing that value, but... Um, we don't get to talk too much about crypto in a really accessible way, and this is a pretty accessible or understandable uh, crypto bug. Yeah, it's another example of how you can break crypto systems, even if you can't break the crypto itself. Um, to be yeah. fair, like they don't say outright it's encrypted, they say encoded, but given the fact they weren't able to reverse the encoding, it's, you know, it, it could be crypto. Um, What's it's, the it's difference? Hard to really say. Yeah, <laughs> in, in effect, it's the same thing. So... Uh, yeah, it's just a reminder of like, even if you can't like, even if you encrypt the data, um, actually like validating the integrity of it and making sure it's being used in the way it's intended is uh, sort of its own set of problems that you have to handle. Yeah, an interesting one with this is um, even if you did check the integrity, like the value can like the integrity wasn't necessarily compromised of the encrypted data itself because it's yeah. being used somewhere else. So, yeah, even doing integrity checking wouldn't necessarily protect you from this. And this is also, I guess, a place to kind of, you know, go on the soapbox bit and, and uh, you know, not rolling your own crypto systems. And that that doesn't just mean not implementing, like, AES yourself, but not rolling out your own custom uses of crypto like this by using common frameworks. Yeah. Um, yeah. You, just, you create a bunch of issues unless you really understand the depth of it. Yeah. All right. So uh, let's get into some shout outs. So Pi3 put out a blog post on uh, titled Bug Bounties Are Broken, the story of the i915 bug, Chrome OS and Intel bounty programs and beyond. Um, so the actual vulnerability in this post is like a, bin uh, yeah, a binary type issue. It's in the Linux kernel. Uh, so we're not really going to cover it here. But on top of the vulnerability, uh, it also goes into like a meta discussion on bug bounties, um, starting off with like the history of bug bounties and whatnot. Um, and I, I thought it was kind of an interesting read, especially going into the history. If you're not fully aware of, uh, you know, the steps that led into bug bounties being where they are now, um, and it, it kind of goes on like a, you know, looking taking a balanced take on bug bounties of like what they offered, um, how they've benefited security over the years, but also how they've kind of over the last few years 
maybe fallen off a little bit, like we're kind of exiting the golden age, uh, especially with a lot of the drama uh, around bug bounties, which we've covered a few, a few of the cases, I think that are even mentioned in this post on the show before um, like some of the Microsoft case examples, but um, yeah, it's kind of an interesting meta level uh, take on bug bounties, um, which, you know, we, we like to talk about sometimes uh, actually one of the points is he, has talked about maybe not so much recently but i remember at one point you talked about it quite a bit um was you know using bug bounties for income uh and saying like maybe part of the problem um that is cropped up with bug bounties is the fact that you know people are using it as an income source um so yeah there's some interesting discussion in here i think it is definitely worth the read even if you're not interested in the linux kernel or the vulnerability that's being talked about here um the first half of this blog uh this blog post is pretty uh, pretty interesting, and I, I think it's worth a read if you're interested in like bone research programs and and stuff like that. Yeah, I, I don't think we want to go into like all the details about everything you raised because we have had this sort of discussion about some some of the challenges with bug bounties. I do want to clarify: I don't like have an issue with people getting paid for bug bounties or using that as your income, but when it becomes your primary source of income, the dynamic changes from where it was just. People were exploring on applications already and like doing that for free and then getting arrested or something uh, versus getting something, having a bug bounty and like that movement of the industry towards actually accepting like they just want to report the bugs. They're not looking to hack. It's just or like to maliciously hack. It's just reporting some bugs and like that shift to now reporting those bugs can be a career move. I don't take issue with, but it has changed the dynamic between researcher and uh, company. <laughs> the way you kind of mentioned there maybe made it sound like I was like, yeah, people shouldn't be getting paid for buck bounties or something. And <laughs> definitely not going that far on it. Um, I will also say, I, so the history he asked, he asked the chat GPT for the history. I'm, I know... I'm not sure how accurate this is. I'll put it that way. Um, or how much is missing. I mean, it is a very brief history here. It's like a paragraph, so it's not like it's going very deep. I remember a couple other companies from that time that seemed to be pretty early, although Netscape and Mozilla, I guess, could be the bigger names there. But um, yeah, I'm not sure about that. So take some of that with a grain of salt, being that is from... ChatGBT, and I was going to add one thing into the problems list. Uh, they kind of have seven problems here. Insufficient rewards, slow, unresponsive communication, lack of transparency, unclear scope, duplicate reports, rejecting reports, and no public recognition. Another issue I think that kind of exists, and it's maybe touch on with no public recognition, but it's just the idea of knowledge sharing and actually sharing that widely so other people can learn because oftentimes bug bounties are used as muzzles. We're not going to pay you unless you stay silent about this vulnerability. Um, and I yeah, think sort that of paying off for non-disclosure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think that's another problem that doesn't get talked about here, but yeah. Um, on the whole, like I thought it was an interesting read that you know people can check out if they're interested in it, but it is just kind of, it is probably a lot of what you've seen before in terms of bug bounties. It is interesting to be covering Pi 3 on the uh, bounty episode instead of binary, though. 
for sure. It might be the first time. Um, but yeah, I think where this post could offer a lot of value is if you are looking to get into bug bounties or if you know somebody who is um, this. I think this post would serve as like a pretty decent summary of, um, you know, what the potential problems are, what you might have to deal with and how are the how the power dynamic works, uh, especially, you know, in the cases like Z mentioned earlier, where, um, you know, if you're relying on it for income, the the power kind of shifts pretty heavily in favor of uh, the company um, because if, you know, if the company just decides to not accept your report or not pay you for it or pay you less than you think it should be worth, um, there's not really many courses. Uh, well, there's, there's really not any recourses for you to take um, because you're, you're kind of at liberty of what they decide. So yeah, yeah you're uh, just some things to be aware of there. You're at the mercy of the people who made that decision to appeal it to them and ask them to change their mind, or you go to social media. Like, that's really the two options. Um, you bring out the pitchfork mod, yep. Yeah. Touches on, uh, you know, this is a quote from him. Moreover, there's a lot of false and misleading advertising. This is, like, about bug bounties as an option. All these articles showing the million-dollar bug hunters, uh, giving the impression that you, too, can become rich when you do uh, bounties. That is, like, I feel like it's a somewhat common attitude among those who do bug bounties uh, as, like, their kind of career, as their primary source of income, is, well, if I could do it, anybody could. And I feel like there's a lot of people who just fail, um, who just don't have, like, there is luck involved with bug bounties. Uh, there is the aspect of, not only do you have to be like on any given application, you have to be looking for the correct bug. Like you can look for all the SQL injection you want on a website. If they're not even using SQL, you're never going to find that bug. So there is a bit of luck on just where you, what you choose to look for and where you choose to look. Um, Grant, I mean, that's a very kind of high level thing. You might be able to determine good aspects or good places to look. Um, but there's a lot of luck. There's the luck on has somebody else reported this before you dealing with the dupes. Um, I'm just I think like people can absolutely make it as a career in the bug bounty. It's just I don't think it's purely I work harder than those other people and those other people who failed just aren't working hard enough, which is a sentiment I get a lot from bug bounty hunters um, is just it just takes hard work. And no recognition and luck is of, a big factor. Yeah, of the rest of it. And, and don't get me wrong, like after some time, like especially if you have some sort of backing so you can build up kind of a runway, that luck becomes less important. But getting there in the first place, I don't think is purely a hard work thing. That is, I think, a separate discussion, though. That's not even really coming up here. Or well, it comes up in just this one paragraph. Yeah, it's just kind of a brief excerpt. Um, but yeah, uh, I, I think that there were some good points raised in here, and I think it's a pretty fair take. Um, like, it's not fully ranting on, uh, you know, bug bounty programs. So when it gets specific to, you know, his case, um, it gets a little bit more, you know, personal, I guess. But especially like the first half of the post, it's it's a pretty balanced take. So, yeah, I think it's worth shutting out. Yeah. Um, so like I said at the top of the episode, uh, this will be our last bounty episode for the summer. Um, and one thing we do like to do on the show is put out some resources for anybody who might be interested in, uh, you know, finding some stuff to read while we're away, uh, while we won't be covering stuff. So Z has put together um, some shout outs uh, that will that I'll let him get into here uh, and then we'll wrap up the show. 
Yeah, and I'm kind of going to do this as a bit of a rapid fire to say a bunch of resources for those of you while we're gone. If you want something other to listen to, uh, there are a few podcasts that I'll give mention to. Uh, one is Critical Thinking, Bug Bounty Podcast. We've mentioned them on the show before. I don't believe they actually have a website, uh, so I'm just linking off to their Twitter, which gives you a link off to their Spotify and wherever else. A uh, bit more discussion than what we do, but they will cover recent vulnerabilities. They will go more into actually hunting for some of the bugs, uh, some of the process methodology, uh, tooling, things like that, specifically around bug bounty and bug bounty style issues, which if you're listening to this particular episode, it's probably in line with what you'd be interested in. Solid podcasts all around. Uh, they're fairly new. I've enjoyed listening to them. I think they're... I want to say they're at like 17 episodes. I don't see a number here, but um, but yeah, worth checking out. Absolute AppSec is one I've started listening to relatively recently. Absolute AppSec, it is. The title kind of gives away application security. It's a couple of security professionals working more on that security engineering AppSec side of things rather than uh, pen testers or bug bounty hunters. So is a very different perspective, but they are industry professionals. Tons of experience there. They talk a lot about code review. They do get into tooling. They do get into some of the more practical sides of running an AppSec team or of being on an AppSec team. I think both of them are at the manager level uh, or above like they're, they've been in the industry for a good while. So I there tends to be a lot of insight in there out of kind of what they're talking about and stuff. Um, again, it is more discussional than what we do. They're not like diving into vulnerabilities every week. Um, on that discussional side, open source security podcast. Again, very much more discussional. I go back and forth on actually liking their episodes in fairness. Generally speaking, I enjoy their discussions. Um, they'll have a few more, uh, arguments than I think Spectre and I do, as we tend to kind of have similar backgrounds and in agreement on a lot of things. They'll go back and forth a bit more a lot of the time. Uh, other times, it's just really talking about their experiences. Uh, so those are kind of three podcasts you can listen to. I mean, while we're gone and, you know, when we're back, I'm sure you can keep listening to them. Uh, this isn't a zero-sum game. Uh, but definitely worth checking out if you haven't heard of any of them before. Uh, in terms of finding write-ups and just getting kind of interesting links, uh, there's the AppSec easing, which I don't know if they release this in another way. I just follow their uh, commit feed on GitHub uh, to get like the episodes when they come or issues when they come out. Uh, but they'll have a lot of the links that we end up covering. So they'll have the Vaughn write-ups. They'll have a bit more on uh, some red teaming stuff, tooling, uh, Love more on pox and kind of a fun section, which just random kind of technical stuff that isn't necessarily security related, but is tangent is probably of interest to people. Um, I even take a look at them sometimes to see or to see if I've missed any interesting topics for the week. On a similar note, Bad Sector Labs, they do another kind of weekly thing. So I think their last one was, it uh, looks like it's been about two weeks. Um, but last week in security, very similar. Diff- they just collate a bunch of the posts and stuff that came out, uh, their techniques and write-ups gain. 
bunch of the write-ups. So a lot of similar links, a lot of similar things and content that's new to them. Um, yeah, again, it's a weekly thing. Just keep your eye on Maxwell Dolan. Talked about him before, recommended this last year too. He does little write-ups about vulnerabilities, so similar to our Vuln summary write-ups. Uh, lately, it's been a lot of the uh, crypto or uh, cryptocurrency bugs. But yeah, does good summaries of them. I keep an eye on. He's also got a blog to check out if you want that, but good resource for kind of summaries of things too. Ten tester land write-ups. Don't worry. If you're getting tired here, I'm almost done. Uh, um, uh, Pen tester land, they do write-ups, so bug bounty write-ups mostly every week. Well, not even every week. Uh, every so often, th- every few days, they just update this with all of the bug bounty write-ups that they've seen or that they have links to. I have a few tags on there, but... Generally, it is just a link to all of these write-ups, so it's just somewhere to keep an eye on, or keep an eye on, see what's Another actually... good aggregator to have. Yeah. yeah. Like, they don't add anything to it, but I'll definitely find write-ups that I didn't see on, like, Reddit or something here. And speaking of Reddit, web security research, our web security research is definitely a good place to keep an eye out on. Uh, not super active, but good content when somebody does post something there. NetSec, I assume most people are already familiar with NetSec, to be fair. I mean, you're probably not learning about our NetSec from our podcast. <laughs> um, they're definitely a lot better known than, than we are, but that's there too as another source. I could say Twitter, but I don't actually follow Twitter for like security up or for like the security news and stuff so or maybe people are on mastodon now but i don't really I can comment that. on that a bit um twitter twitter generally is pretty good as long as you have the uh i want to uh, let me get the name of the extension um yeah so if you have like control panel for twitter um just so that you can dis- disable some of the algorithm stuff uh, especially if you get around that you can definitely get some nice uh um some nice feed out of twitter uh, if you follow the right people and whatnot so uh, but it does kind of rely on you going out of your way uh, to like tailor your feed by who you follow. So, uh, you know, it's it's not quite as effortless as a lot of the other aggregation sources you have here. Yeah. So, I mean, you're more than welcome to follow us. We don't post anything about self-promotional spam. So if you like that sort of thing, <laughs> uh, I mean, we do put out some other comments every so often on Twitter, but I'm not a very active Twitter user myself, so we don't end up getting... Or we don't generally put out a ton, but a lot of the InfoSec industry is on Twitter and like a lot of things do break on Twitter. So it is worth following. I just don't have good recommendations on that front. And I guess the last link I'll drop is, well, our uh, self-promotion being odayfans or zerodayfans.com, which basically is just an aggregator of a lot of the blogs that... I follow as part of trying to get the podcast together. This aggregates several of them, adds a little bit of a filter on them to try to only get uh, vulnerability reports. It's not perfect. It is all automated. Um, But generally speaking, it's going to mostly be 
vulnerability reports that come up on here. Um, and there are several blogs on the side to check out if you're interested, but, but yeah, um, O'Day fans is, I, I put a lot of work into getting it up there. I'm, I'm pretty happy with like the quality of the content that comes out of there. It's not necessarily the news. It's your vuln write-ups. Here's some interesting bugs to check out. Well, it doesn't know what's interesting or not. I think at this point, the curation is pretty good though. Um, unfortunately, our like feed or announcements channel that we have set up for Oday fans has been like broken for a little bit. Um, oh, um, you told so me about we'll that. To and I forgot that. to fix it. Yeah, yeah I think we'll, we'll the RSS bot. Yeah, RSS bot died or moved or something. I just have to get that set up again, um, and then we'll have the announcements back in Discord. I just completely forgot even after you told me about it. Yeah, no worries. But just for people out there who do like follow that channel or have it in their service or whatever, we'll we'll try to get that working again. Um, but yeah, I think O'Day fans is a pretty good. Uh, like you know, obviously it's ours, so bias. But um, a, a fair number of the topics we cover also end up on O'Day fans. I'll put it that way. So yeah, yeah, uh, it's like and it, the, the theme is fun. Yeah, as I uh, keep finding blogs and stuff, and finding good blogs, uh, I I use a feed reader. Uh, called feed burner i think it is no comma feed uh, feed burner something else uh but i use comma feed to kind of manage a ton of feeds um and as i find like a good blog and stuff uh and if it is mostly vulnerabilities i add that into this little category called good feeds under research and then that automatically ends up no day fans so as i improve my like search for topics oday fans improves with that also um yeah, and nice will- feedback loop yeah, and I will quickly mention there is this feeds.txt file, uh, which is just all of the directly included feeds. So it, as I add new things, they don't they kind of get added in here. There are some cases that don't get covered. It depends on how I'm adding them and what exactly is being covered. But it's a lot of the feeds that get checked. So even if they're not updating and you haven't seen them on Oday fans right now. The actual blog is here if you want to go right to the source and look for some interesting blogs to follow. All right. So I believe that's all the resources that uh, we wanted to shout out for while we were away. Uh, We do have one more episode. Yeah, uh, we do have one more episode left. That'll be uh, tomorrow for our binary topics. Uh, Until then, though, uh, thanks everyone who tuned in. All the previous episodes can be found on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more off Anchor. Uh, Discord and Twitter links are down below or in the chat. Like I said, we will we will still be active on Discord, uh, you know, even though the podcast is is on pause. And uh, yeah, we'll be back tomorrow, 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific for binary topics, uh, which is also where the Spot the Phone solution will be covered. And we'll see you then. And for those of you who won't be back, uh, well, who won't be on for that episode, uh, enjoy your summer. <laughs>